This podcast is brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. Thanks for downloading this podcast. My guest is Brew Pierce, founder of Envisionation, a UK-based environmental consultancy dedicated to the whole Earth system. And it's the second part of a conversation that we started back at Easter time in 2023. We discuss in greater detail how to repair the badly damaged biosphere and restore it to life again. And who pays? It's a complex topic and worth listening to brew carefully. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Back in April of this year, I had the pleasure of interviewing my guest today for the first time. Together, we started to address the environmental problems of planet Earth's survival, how daunting they seem, and to find solutions, at least to the most pressing. I had the feeling at the time that 30 minutes would not be sufficient, and of course I was right. Many important questions were not adequately dealt with before the interview ended, and I thought to myself that I need to invite my guests back. Brew Pierce is here again with me today in front of a Zoom screen. I think in South Devon in England, I'm at home in Fune near Geneva, and it's as black as well, it is night now because it's after five o'clock local time. We've had an awful day with rain and grey skies. But Brew, thanks for making time for me again today. It's really good to see you. Michael, thanks very much for having me back. I do appreciate it. Happy to well, take... I'm not going to introduce you for a second time by reciting your long and impressive CV, except to say that you are the founder of Envisionation, an environmental consultancy dedicated to the whole Earth system, and the creator of an ambitious and visionary Envisionation Biosphere Restoration Plan. Now, listeners, you can turn to the playlist on my website to listen to Brew Pierce, Pierce's backstory and in full to our conversation back at Easter time earlier this year. Back then, the focus of our conversation was on an explanation of the mess we're in and a dispassionate and unemotional examination, and I thank you, Brew, for doing that, of the importance of biomass and its consistent degradation over the past many hundreds of years. Now, at the end of our conversation, it left me with one single question, what to do? In fact, a number of questions. What should industry do? I'm thinking of industries directly linked to our problems today, created due to man's activities in the past, fossil fuels, timber and lumber, some types of farming, just to name three, but also demographics. Our world population is heading for 9 million. When I started school million. in 1954, it was 2.7 billion. And then you've got international local politics. You, Bruce, talked about getting a global agreement on legislation, a treaty that would help to enforce the rules we need for us to all to make progress. Not impossible, but very ambitious. And then influencing impressionable minds, namely young people who are also our future. They need hope. They need to be educated. They will learn and mature. And then lastly, finite resources. As there is a cost to making big corrections, someone must pay. And my first question, Brew, is who pays? Who pays, Bruce? Good, good question, Michael, and thank you for uh, 
letting me come back and talk about this because we spent 12 years looking into understanding how the system worked. Um, uh, and latterly, we've been diving into you know, what we can do about it. So glad to have an opportunity to talk about that. Um, who pays? Right now, everybody's going to pay. And the, the, the cost is really extreme because as we stand, we're on a you know, pretty much a course to Armageddon. But it's not necessary. Um, we have the capability, the knowledge to restore the biosphere, to restore the oceans, um, to restore vast tracts of land and to bring back life. And um, as I said last time, the big anthropogenic human impact has been the destruction of more than half of the life on the planet over the past seven to 10,000 years. And life works together to control its own environment. Life uh, cools the planet, maintains stability. And actually, wherever, we, wherever you look at life, its function is to colonize and stabilize. So with that understanding, um, there is a huge cost to everyone, which is the unfunded liabilities the cost of undoing the damage that we've done, the pollution of the skies, oceans, um, soils, all of that environmental damage. So we've really got to look at our Earth system accounting um, and realize that right now it is frankly fraudulent. Um, we've got to take a, a good hard look at what real growth is. If it's is an action that carries vast environmental damage, which isn't accounted for. It's not necessarily growth. Um, real growth comes from doing things better, more efficiently, and using energy systems that are uh, sustainable, um, solar, wind, geothermal, uh, and even nuclear Anything that's not depositing huge amounts of hydrocarbons in the atmosphere or making the oceans more acidic or damaging soils. So somehow we have to get ourselves into a position where we're being honest with ourselves um, and recognize the position we're in. So the current call for net zero by 2050 um, is utterly inadequate. Um, that assumes that we will carry on adding hydrocarbons to the atmosphere and taking down forests and doing, continuing to overfish the seas, um, gradually reducing that amount through to 2050. But we're going to do an awful lot more damage than we've done now. And in the last few days, uh, we've just had Hurricane Otis in, uh, that hit Acapulco, Category 5 storm. Um, it went from a tropical cyclone to a Category 5 storm in just 12 hours and caught everybody out. Uh, and I would say to anybody listening to this, it is worth Googling um, Hurricane Otis and Acapulco because there are a million people in that city and it is the most documented severe hurricane ever. Um, 
it, it'll give you a real understanding of uh, just how damaging things could be. Um, to interrupt you there, Brew, you, you told me um, when we first met that you used to sail yachts. The the speed with which that particular storm picked up motion was really exceptional, was it? Yes, truly exceptional, Which uh, and, and therefore they weren't prepared. Yeah. Generally speaking, you know, we, we we track the hurricane, we say it's going to develop, and you get a, a nice little um, conical pattern which shows you where it's going to be, and it's going to be cat one, cat two, cat three over a number of days. This was this was severe. And the reason it was severe is that we've got very, very warm seas. I mean, we've smashed climate records um, all around the world this year. Uh, and, and they're not just little jumps. They've been great big jumps in temperature. So... Um, it, people need to understand that uh, you know we're in exponential circumstances with these feedback loops that are going on, and they all interact with each other to make it hyper exponential. So uh, this year is bad. In fact, we, we we've got a, a severe storm coming here on uh, Wednesday and Thursday in, in Devon, um, uh, France and England going to hit um, the. Um, Position is that next year will be significantly worse than this year's been and the year after. So we really have to take action. Um, coming back to your question, is that who pays? Um, well, before you, before I've been a bit unfair to you because we're going to deal in quite some detail with the who pays, but let me just ask you an interim question before you get to that is you, you mentioned that the, the reduction by 50% of um, the biomass and that it's compromising the self-regulating capability of planet Earth. And you've also told me that, that greenhouse gas reduction alone will not stabilize the climate. What, what, what's not clear to me is what will stabilize the, the climate if the current mantra of greenhouse gas reduction isn't enough. Okay. Um, the biosphere, all living things working together in an interrelated way, and you know, we all know this, an apple is evolved on a tree to feed an animal, and that animal walks off with the apple and drops the seeds. Um, working together, the biosphere controls its climate through the great forests and the phytoplankton and zooplankton on the surface of the oceans. Um, Evapotranspiration over the forests sends moisture up into the atmosphere and the trees and the fungi release um, aerosols, minute particles, which go up with it. And those particles are necessary for cloud formation. Every droplet up there forms around a nuclei of some sort. And forests, therefore, are able to uh, control how much is released. And through that, control their temperature. This is no different to you or I sweating or having our blood vessels dilate. Um, the, um, the reflectivity of the, of the leaves, the color of the ocean surface, and the oceans, the... Um, the phytoplankton and the zooplankton um, 
release diethylmal sulfide and other aerosols for cloud formation. And the more small particles you get, the more droplets, the whiter the cloud. You know when a cloud's going to rain, it's big and dark. Yeah. Um, there's another thing that we're learning about now is that the surface layer of the ocean is absolutely critical. The It's the water-atmosphere interface. And plankton are able to release lipids and oils onto the surface, which impact the uh, speed of evaporation. And it's another controlling mechanism. So well, if we've if we've destroyed so much of the forest over these many hundreds of years, I don't know how much of the forest is left on planet Earth, but how on earth are we going to restore that huge amount of forest that's been destroyed? Well, there you have it. The forests and bring this back have a value to us. And we come back to the conversation about Earth system accounting. Uh, there is a value in forest and regeneration of forests and improvement of soils and planting things and in restoring the, the ocean nutrient cycles to bring back the phytoplankton to control our atmosphere. It's our climate control system. That has a value. And the people who are doing that work should be paid properly for that work. And the people who are using those services, predominantly in the cities, need to be paying for that. Now, you know, how do we how do we bring all of this together? Um, you mentioned briefly, <laughs> we're we're just over eight billion people now, and by 2050 we're going to be around nine billion, maybe nine point five billion. Um, and we have this global agreement, 195 countries, to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, this is the SDGs. Great, SDGs. Yeah, SDGs. Great ambition. You know, wonderful thing to do. But what is the impact of that? Uh, I'd ask any any bank funder to consider how much wealth will be created if, should we say, by 2050, we have delivered on those goals. And instead of having 2.5 billion people living well, as you and I are now, everybody else living pretty miserable lives you have nine billion people living as well as we do well the answer is global gdp goes through the roof and those goals call for restoration of seas forests environmental work and if you deliver all of that qed you end up with a stable planet you end up with a viewpoint of a positive future and that brings in confidence. And, and confidence is a key piece of any valuation. Um, sorry about that. Um, so th th that too adds to the value. So if we can achieve that target, we will create enormous wealth. The next question is, how do you deliver that on that? Well, the answer is we have to invest heavily in biosphere restoration. And that requires 
sorting out a lot of irrigation. It requires that we set aside a lot of land for rewilding. It requires that we farm differently, non-till farming. It requires that we restore forests. We will have to produce our food differently. But we have you know, wonderful knowledge and technologies coming forward for that. Um, the hopefully new ways of synthesizing meats and proteins will produce better quality food at a lower price where it's required. And the economics of that can potentially put Brazilian beef farmers out of business. Okay, Just so let me let me let me put you on the spot. Um, we try in the second half of the program just to to bring that into a, a sort of a tighter um, explanation. But before I do, let me just remind our listeners that my guest today is Bruce is Bruce Pierce. He's founder and CEO of Envisionation, an environmental consultancy based in the UK. And we're talking about his biosphere restoration plan. Bruce, when I've listened to our first radio conversation, I listened to it many times. What struck me is not just the logic of your arguments, and I've heard it again, but the overwhelming scope of the biosphere restoration plan. It's simply huge, even though logical. And the challenges which you describe as a plethora, as your word, that's the word you used, are so broad. And if you want to raise the finances to begin this critically important project, and here I come to the real, if you like, pressure point, how will you first narrow down the many challenges so that all the dimensions of the biosphere can firstly be measured and then tracked and then modeled to present a viable business case that will attract investors over the long term. How do you do that? Well, let's, let's treat it as a business case. Um, we uh, carried out a project which we called Earth Inc. And we considered ourselves to be uh, a group of consultants hired by an intergalactic investor who were thinking of buying into Earth Inc. And we carried out an audit. Um, and um, the, the result wasn't good. But following that theme, and the theme of Earth system accounting, uh, you need good data. And so a, a critical thing for us to put in place is really good Earth system modeling. And th that's where I've been working with Bob Bishop and the International Center for Earth Simulation. Uh, the proposition there is to put in place a supercomputer that brings all of the data together. There's vast amounts of satellite data, uh, meteorological data, but um, uh, agricultural data, uh, financial data, to build a model of the whole Earth system. And that allows you to create a dashboard for the planet. The next thing to consider is that, you know, for uh, 33 years of IPCC, reports and such like we've been calling things out but we've made absolutely no progress um there are large vested interests working against us somehow we have to swing the argument outflank them perhaps bring people on side um and one of the ways of, of bringing people on side is to understand just how much money can be made by delivering on those goals and very large uh, land restoration projects, which carry with them the development of communities and economies. Um, think of think of uh, the European Union expanding into Eastern Europe. 
huge investment. 20 years later, massive markets created. Think about doing that with the, the whole world. So the next the next question is, well, how do we get to that point? Yes. Yeah. And again, you mentioned concerns of the youth. With all these dramatic climate events that are going on, and the information's out there, there are an awful lot of young people who are suffering extreme future anxiety. And they're out there campaigning, saying do something to a bunch of politicians who really don't know what to do. Um, far better if one can put a plan out there and allow people to say, do this. And in, indeed, when people have stress, um, the first thing you do, if you give them a plan, say, this is how we're going to sort it out. That's how you take away the, the stress and, and get people to focus. So what we at Envisionation are trying to do at the moment is uh, we are looking to um, put a digital asset in place, which we call an empathy. Empathy, because you've got to have that that An empathy. Empathy, yeah. An empathy coin, an empathy share, an empathy token. Okay. We're in, in discussions with people who are good in those digital assets. The idea of that is that we will um, take our biosphere restoration plan and put it out across social media, make people aware of what we're doing with it, um, and then invite people to get involved with the call to action and say, invest in empathy. Um, that will raise initial amounts of money, which will go back into the next set of films and social media work, which will spread the word wider. And that, that will bring in more investment. As that investment comes in, we're in discussion with banking uh, partners and um, others who are thinking about how we are going to pull together what one might describe as a global environmental restoration fund. When the International Center Earth Simulation supercomputer comes on board, hopefully three years down the line. So we're talking three, four years, are we? Yeah, yeah. It'll, take, it'll take some time. But we can, sure. There is data, but the, the quality and the resolution of that data will get better. At some point, we will make the link where those empathy tokens get um, related to the living biomass account of the world. Right now, around 550 gigatons of carbon with life mounted on it, active carbon. There ought to be 1,100 gigatons. So there's a 550 gigaton deficit. As Just remind me and the listeners who are not familiar with these prefixes, what is a gigaton, roughly? Put it, can you put that in another? A gigaton's a billion. A billion, uh, okay. A billion, billion, billion tons of, of, of carbon. But okay. uh, don't worry, don't worry about that too much. No, but it sounds like a big number. Imagine, yeah. in, imagine every single tree and green leaf and everything, all that on the, in the planet piled up in one great big you know, pile. Yes, and say so we need another pile that size. I mean, right? Okay. Um, and and it's, it's not that hard. People actually know that. But you know, two thousand years ago, Europe was all forested. The Romans came along, started cutting it down, and then, then we, you know, we built ships and the rest of it. Um, these huge changes have taken place. Uh, but the idea, therefore, is to create a financial structure which is based on the ultimate human asset. And our ultimate asset is a healthy biosphere. Without the biosphere, everything is lost. 
So it makes enormous sense to put that in place, what I'd describe as a living carbon standard as opposed to a gold standard. And the way we're trying to formulate that is it will become a base uh, for all of the other carbon accounting systems that are out there, particularly the um, the, the bio-based ones, which will, and, and the carbon markets, as you probably know, have been struggling. They've been all over the place. Putting a base standard in place and linking it to a dashboard so you can see the overall health of the planet should give the whole thing meaning. But from the point of view of the early investors in this, rather than buy into a pension fund that may be investing in hydrocarbons, um, you're actually buying into something that's meaningful because if it delivers, you deliver your future. And we know that it's going to create enormous value because going from where we are now to 9 billion people living well and a stabilized biosphere environment for everyone creates enormous wealth. That's the base, the base argument underneath it. Okay. Uh, so look, we're coming to the end of our conversation. Uh, I just want to come back to um, the future, optimism and young people. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what you see or what you're doing, even if it's only tangentially, to encourage young people to understand some of these complexities so that as they mature through life, through university, they're in a much better position to take a view that encompasses all of these issues rather than just focusing on one, which is to stop this or to destroy that or to halt this. I mean, I'm just curious to know how you see what you're doing, mobilizing the next generation, the generation of our children and grandchildren. Well, the first thing we're doing is we are explaining how the whole system works, pointing out how we can restore oceans and vast areas of land, showing how uh, you know, there can be a viable future, um, pointing the direction. We, we need every single tool in the box to get out of the position we're in. Uh, we need all the renewables. We need um, regrowing forests. We need to change the way we do our agriculture. We've got to carry out all those things. Um, and, and that can be done. So study that. Um, in order to get there, we have to vote in politicians who understand it and get it. We have to invest in the companies that are going in the right direction. Um, we do have to understand that, uh, you know, you can't switch off your hydrocarbons straight away. We're looking for transition plans over a 10 or a 15 year period to run down the hydrocarbons, come up on the geothermal energy. Um, uh, you know, bringing these other systems into place. We are in such difficult position that we may have to get involved in some forms of solar radiation management because the planet is getting uh, exceedingly hot and we're in danger of losing the Arctic. And as we lose the Arctic, we're going to absorb an awful lot more heat. So we may well be forced with that. And we need to be researching those projects uh, so and we need you, at scale. What? So are you working with schools, with universities? Um, I mean, what are you actually doing to, to take those ideas forward and, and have them, if you like, fly even further through young, bright, educated there people are, with there, energy? There are vast networks out there uh, of, of people working on, on a plethora of projects in, in every direction. 
what we want to do is get out there and publicize that. So invest in the plan. We're able then to tell the story, push it out on social media, encourage collaboration, encourage students to go in the right direction, encourage businesses to get involved, get businesses to wake up. I mean, if you're in the insurance business, you're in a very sticky position. I wouldn't want to be assuring Acapulco at the moment. Um, but the insurers have enormous power. You know, they can say, we won't insure you unless you do X and Y. Of course. So that's the starting point. Yeah, without insurance, you, you can't get finance. You can't do anything. Um, so we, we really do need to rejig things. But that, I think the, the way to get there is tell the story, get it out there, get people to understand the importance of biomasses, forests and oceans um, part in stabilizing our climate. If we just cut out the CO2... Uh, and the, the emissions, and we don't have enough biomass, and the biomass isn't healthy, don't necessarily expect us to have a stable climate. Um, it, it, you, you need that active life in there. You need a healthy biosphere to do that. But the so-called rush to net zero may not bring the benefits that are Correct. talked about. No. Correct. We've got to go slowly there. And we've discovered this. I mean, the rush to net zero... Um, we had this huge work on the bunker fuel of ships and they all put in scrubbers and we cleaned up the skies and suddenly we get a warming spike because with all of those nasty emissions, you've also got things going up there which reflect away heat. And if you take it away too fast, you, you, get, you remove what they described as global dimming and in comes the heat. So, I mean, there are some people that suggest that if you were to switch off all the coal uh, and and diesel uh, and bunker fuel tomorrow, yeah, we might have a, an immediate half a degree to a degree of warming, um, you know, which is quite scary. So it, it's we've got to really understand what we're doing. We've got to move fast. We've got to do it in a hyper exponential way because we've got to get ahead of the curve. Um, the, the message: it, this is entirely doable. And there's lots of benefit in doing it. Um, and therefore, we should get on with it. The, I had a conversation with some bankers the other day, and I was asked the question, what is the, the one important thing that we need to do? And the answer to that is we have to create a societal framework within which all of these solutions can flourish. And so the critical things there are put legal structures in place that protect the biosphere and penalize doing damage. So um, the, uh, the campaign to make ecocide a, a, a fifth crime against peace, but there are, there are a whole range of these projects going on and they are really important. Put those in place. Now, one of the things coming back to Earth Inc, laws are in place to control the way companies behave. And the first rule is, thou shalt present proper accounts and thou shalt be audited. And we need to start auditing the planet. <laughs> Do that right. And we need to put rules in place that are fit for purpose to protect it. And as soon as you do that, all the things that we do that are right start to become vastly more economically viable 
than the damaging things. Um, you know, if, if um, uh, hydrocarbon pollutants were forced to pay the cost of those pollutants, or the plastic industry was forced to pay the cost of the cleanup was built into it, um, that would that would make putting in place the recycling infrastructure a profitable business straight away. Um, it, it it makes solar and wind vastly more profitable than any hydrocarbon work. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's fascinating. It, listen, it's clear to me, even now after having had two conversations, this is a massive project which <laughs> requires us to re to address it again, maybe in another couple of years' time when you're nearer getting things to the point of, I, I hesitate to use the word launch, but actually putting it into the marketplace and beginning to test it on people. But I think we've gone about as far as we can go together and we've, we've covered a lot of ground. You've explained quite a few of the things that we talked about a few months ago. And I thank you again for answering all my questions. I wish you all success in your in your magnum opus. My guest today has been Brew Pierce, founder and CEO of Envisionation, an environmental consultancy based in the UK and with Global Vision. Thanks again for making time for me, Brew. Michael, thanks very much for having me. And look, in a final word there, um, we need help. It's a huge project. We can't do it alone. I'd be delighted to be contacted by anybody in the, the, the finance world, uh, the legal world. If, if anything I've said resonates, please get in contact. So you just have to Google Envisionation. I've tried it myself. It works. You'll find Brew um, in, in there and a lot more information. And I thank you again, Brew Pierce. Michael, thank you. Thanks for listening to the McKay Interview podcast, brought to you by Kyoto Japan Automotive Group, a company which I've known personally for over 20 years, and your one-stop shop for tires, batteries, and auto parts. Visit their website at www.kyotojap.com for more details. And you can find more podcasts on Anchor FM. Just Google McKay Interview Anchor FM. Thanks again for listening.